Good afternoon. My name is Greg Lois. Uh, thanks for joining me today as we talk about the going and coming defense in New York. If you received my email today reminding you about uh, today's presentation, uh, you uh, learned that there is a new decision that's going to uh, be discussed today in our presentation on the going and coming defense. So uh, without further ado, let me just remind everyone, uh, this is a totally live webinar. Um, even though it's 100 degrees out, we're freezing here in this control room today. I have your questions in front of me. I've got a computer in front of me. So as I'm talking, please feel free to type in your questions because I can see them popping up and I'll do my best to answer them as I go along uh, or uh, at the end if they're a longer question. All right, uh, so without further ado, let's begin. Uh, as we all know, uh, in New York, if there's an accident at work and we do nothing, it will be found compensable and the employer will be paying benefits, uh, short-term dis uh, uh, temporary disability benefits, medical benefits, and then permanency benefits uh, based on the severity of the loss. Uh, the only way to get out of paying in New York is uh, to deny a case uh, or have the case dismissed for uh, a legal defense. All legal defenses need to be raised. And in this state, if you do not raise a legal defense within 25 days of the notice of indexing, you can expect a court to find against you. Uh, there are numerous appellate level decisions that state a defense not raised is waived, and particularly if the defense is uh, raised late. So uh, the best practice in New York is when you have a case in which you think there may be a defense, whether that is a factual or a legal defense, uh, best practice is to raise that issue or do a full investigation as soon as you can. Please remember that in New York, we are under some time constraints. Again, we have 25 days from the notice of indexing in which to file our, file our dispute. And so what we advise clients, hey, as soon as you think there might be a defense to this case, immediately get in contact with your adjuster, your third-party administrator, your carrier. Uh, they'll get in touch with us, the counsel, and we'll work together to come up with an action plan to defend the case. We'll also advise uh, the adjuster, third-party administrator, or if you're self-insured, your own program, uh, what defenses to raise, what are the codes uh, for all of the electronic data interchange filing format that needs to be done in New York. Uh, in the last couple of months, we've talked about a lot of defenses, and today we're gonna be talking just about the going and coming defense, really because it's such a broad one and the, uh, so many things uh, touch on it. For example, Today we're going to be talking about parking lot injuries and when those are and are not compensable. We're going to be talking about travel injuries, uh, travel at the request of the employer. We're going to talk about special errands and, of course, uh, everybody's favorite, the home office injury. So the going and coming defense, in a nutshell, basically says that uh, injuries that occur off the employer's premises and injuries that occur during the regular commute of the employee are not compensable. Now, of course, this wouldn't be New York workers' compensation law if there were not a lot of exceptions to that rule. So the first exception is where the employer is paying travel time. This is where the employer is actually providing the transportation, paying for it, and the employee is required to use it. Uh, a great example of this is an employer that utilizes its own transportation assets to collect its employees, bring them to a workplace, whether that be a permanent workplace or uh, various locations. But whenever the employer is providing and directing tr uh, transportation to and from work, 
guess what? That entire ride to and from work is now compensable. We're all familiar with stories about how Google has these special buses and Apple uh, in California that take their employees on and off their campuses with Wi-Fi and all these amenities. Uh, in New York, it's a little different. Uh, there are uh, reported decisions in New York uh, involving the transportation, typically of labor, uh, of uh, unskilled laborers to and from work uh, places. And that is very common in the construction trade. And then another example is the uh, Davis case, the labor ready case, in which is the famous case from 2010, in which the co-employees were all uh, sort of pooling into a van and they would pay the driver two bucks and the driver would take them to the labor ready location. Uh, that was not organized by the employer. It was not paid for by the employer. And therefore the injuries that occurred on that van trip were found not to be compensable uh, by the workers' compensation board and that held up on appeal. So these cases are gonna turn on whether or not the employer is providing the transportation, paying for it, requiring it to get to that workplace. All right, so that's the first exception. Uh, exception two. Uh, is going to be travel time. Uh, generally speaking, travel to and from fixed locations, that's going to be considered your uh, regular commute. Uh, however, unusual travel. So this would be uh, one of my employees goes to the New York State Self-Insured Association's meeting in Lake George last week. The, trap, uh, the trip from our office to the meeting uh, and then the return trip back to the office after the meeting, that's really a special uh, request, a travel time uh, request that we've made of that employee outside of their regular workday. It's certainly not their regular place of employment. And for those reasons, I think injuries occurring on those types of trips would generally be found to be compensable. So that's your second uh, exception where the employer's paying for the travel time of the employee. Next, parking lots. Uh, this is the classic one where we always uh, ask questions immediately almost when our employers or our clients contact us. Uh, typical situation is they call me up, they say, Greg, we had an employee, they punched out for the day, they're in the parking lot, they're getting in their own car, they slip and fall. Greg, is that compensable? And it's a good question, but unfortunately I can't answer that question. I've got to ask you, the employer, or you, the adjuster, a couple more follow-on questions so that I can provide you with the right answer. I need to know first, uh, was that parking lot part of the employer's premises? Meaning, is it all one thing? Does the employer uh, own the entire shopping center or uh, retail location? Is this a service location where the parking lot really only serves the one employer and the employer rents or owns the building and they rent and own the entire parking lot? If that's the case, we can stop the inquiry right there. I'm going to tell you that the case is likely compensable. Even though the employee punched out and was done for the day, the fact that they were in our own uh, parking lot at that time of loss and that uh, parking lot was under our complete control and ownership is going to make that loss compensable. Uh, what about situations, and this is much more common, where the employer does not own the parking lot? Now, I'm thinking of all the retail locations or service locations, restaurants, stores uh, that are located in a strip mall or a mall and they've got a large contiguous but shared parking lot and they don't have any specific designated spaces in that parking lot. Uh, if the employer does not control or maintain or specifically lease uh, that parking lot and the employee has an injury in the parking lot, more likely than not, we're going to advise a denial in that case. We're gonna say that's not compensable because uh, they had punched out, they've left our premises and yeah, they're in a parking lot that's attached to our building but 
Uh, we didn't tell them that they had to park there. We certainly didn't direct them where to park. We didn't own it. It's not part of our leased premises. So we're going to argue that that's not, maybe not part of uh, our premises. And then we're going to argue that's not a compensable loss. All right. It gets a little trickier because a lot of my employers, particularly retail employers, will tell our uh, staff things like, listen, we don't want you guys taking this spots right up close to our store. In fact, we want you to park way over there in this other lot that's on the other side of the building, way far away from us so that you're keeping all of the good spots up close for our employees. Uh, I'm sorry, for our customers, <laughs> okay? This is a typical situation. I have one uh, 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 client employer who actually requires that the employees park so far away that they bust them back into the location um, in the wintertime because it's miserable to have to take this giant walk back to their location. Okay, once we've told the employee exactly where to park in the parking lot, even though we don't own the parking lot, we don't maintain the parking lot, we don't even lease the parking lot, uh, once we start directing them exactly where they have to park in the parking lot, guess what? We just made that entire walk to and from that car in that specific spot that we told them to park in uh, compensable and part of our premises. That's something to be really mindful of and thoughtful of when we're advising our, our employees exactly that they have to park. Because you might transform this adjacent space, which we have no liability for, into one where we do have liability. So something to think about. All right, another way in which uh, we can um, pierce or the claimant can pierce that general immunity to losses that occur off premises is by claiming that we sent the employee on a special mission. A special mission is something unusual. It certainly isn't something that happens every day. A special mission is something like, oh goodness, we've run out of paper. Somebody run down to Office Max or Office Depot or Staples and go get us a couple reams of paper, right? And we transform someone's job from sitting at a desk to now you're gonna drive to the Staples, you're gonna carry the paper, you're gonna bring it in your car, you're gonna return to the office and put it away. All right, now the employee gets injured while carrying out those uh, off-campus tasks. Guess what? Uh, that's a special mission, and even though they're not on my premises, any injury that occurs there during that uh, special mission is going to be compensable. Now, a special errand has to be something that the employer is actually directing or facilitating, uh, and not just simply something that we're merely encouraging or allowing, okay? So let's be thoughtful about that. Um, the One of the uh, most uh, cited cases on this involves employees who were going off-site uh, for the purposes of getting their uniforms cleaned, okay? So as an employer, we need to be a little bit thoughtful about the types of missions that we're giving to our employees because we could be transforming uh, a purely personal errand or an errand that has very tangential business um, need or necessity into something that's actually going to increase our potential exposure. All right, we have a lot of employers and clients with multiple locations and locations in which they're having their employees travel from one location to another, sometimes during the same day, or reporting to specific locations on specific days. Another good example is the employee with the sales route. Uh, I've got many clients whose employees have a set sales route. They go to store A on Monday, they go to store B on Tuesday, they go to store C on Wednesday, and then the cycle repeats itself every week. And the question has always been, well, Greg, we get it that when they're going from location to location within the same day, 
that those trips would be compensable. They fall under uh, the workplace rule that they're on these errands in between locations and they don't have a fixed place of employment. So Greg, we understand that that's probably gonna be found to be compensable. But the question comes in about the first trip of the day and the last trip of the day. In other words, on Mondays, this employee is always reporting to the same location. Really, I make the argument that that location is a fixed place of employment on Mondays. Essentially, I'm gonna make the argument to the law judge that, yeah, he reports to different locations, but they're always the same on certain days. Therefore, the travel from their home to that first location on that specific day is their regular commute. And, they, and what we wanna do is then show the judge a long pattern, a long standing pattern of them doing that trip over and over and over again for a long period of time. All right, uh, last example that I'm gonna talk about before we talk about the Rodriguez case that I put in this morning's email, uh, working from home. It's become more and more and more popular uh, and uh, there's been more and more cases about employees working from home. So two interesting things. First of all, generally speaking, if an employee works from home, the, employee, the employee's home then becomes the workplace. And if they're injured while working from home, then it would be compensable. So pretty simple. The reason I threw this into this going and coming defense is because I really wanna talk about the uh, examples that I've seen, which have been, I think, uh, very creative use by claimants attorneys of trying to claim the person was working from home in order to transform the commute to their home at the end of the day into this compensable workers' compensation covered trip. So let me explain how they do that. And there's recent reported decisions on this exact issue. So we have an employee who's injured while driving home from work. The employee then says, well, judge, uh, I really deserve workers' compensation benefits for this injury because when I got home, I was gonna read some emails on my mobile phone and I had brought a couple pieces of paper home to read and maybe uh, type an email about to someone later. In other words, the employee claims that they didn't actually do work at home, but it was permitted, meaning the employer allows it even though they didn't require it, and they had planned to do it that day when they were driving home from work and had their uh, accident while commuting home. Uh, in those circumstances, the employer argues essentially uh, the facts that I just laid out. First of all, it's not required for you to work from home. It is permitted for you to work from home. Three, the fact that you have some work materials with you, some files in your bag, some paper with you, some report you were gonna read, doesn't transform that commute from the workplace to your home into a covered required workplace travel event. There are decisions in New York finding that that is not compensable and the mere allegation that the employee intended to work at home when they got there is not enough uh, to defeat that presumption that it is not compensable. Okay. Uh, so Linda asked a question that's just popping up here right now. Greg, what would constitute a long period of time to show that the first job assignment on Monday is the same? Six months, a year? I think you're trying to say, Greg, exactly how long do we have to show that this was a repetitive uh, uh, commute for this person in order to prevail? I think there's really two things to that. Yeah, I'd like to show them several months. Months, not years, not decades, just a couple months of, hey, this is where this person reported every day on Monday's judge. This is not changing, this is their regular commute. And two, I'd want it somewhere in writing that this is their actual schedule. 
specifically, I want to show that even if this pattern was only actually enacted three or four times in through the three or four weeks, because uh, this might shock some people. We do have people who come to work and within the first couple of days have these, uh, you know, completely permanently disabling injuries, allegedly. Uh, but, you know, I'd want to show that this was written down and this was understood that this was their actual work assignment. All right. So I hope that answers that, Linda. Uh, let's move on to the Rodriguez case because it's very interesting. It just got decided on uh, May 31, 2018. So uh, in Rodriguez, there was a female subway conductor. Uh, she worked at the uh, 180th Street station. Uh, that's the elevated train line in the Bronx. Uh, she didn't live there. She worked a little ways away from there. And her routine to arrive to work at 6.05 a.m. on Saturday mornings and Sunday mornings when she worked there uh, was to get on a train near her home and travel the subway to work, essentially. Now, while traveling, while traveling to work, she's wearing her uniform of a subway conductor. She is not punched in and does not punch in until she gets to her actual workplace, which is the 180th Street Station. Um, she is using an MTA or a, a subway free pass that she's been given. And this free pass allows her to travel on the subway to work for free. While traveling to work, uh, she uh, is asked by some alleged turnstile jumpers to open up uh, one of the lanes so that they can get through without paying. Uh, essentially, this indicates to me probably they just wanted her to hold open uh, the handicapped entrance so that they could all run through. Uh, she says, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not helping you. Don't do that. The turnstile jumper jumps over the turnstile anyway and attacks her and beats her up. Okay. The question is, is this compensable? So interestingly, and, and it's a great, nice, long, well-written decision uh, the appellate division goes through all of the facts uh, of this case and, you know, primarily that she's in uniform. She's actually on her employer's premises, right, because she's in one station traveling to another and the, the second station that she's going to actually work at. Uh, her travel is paid for by the employer. Uh, and the person that she stopped from jumping over uh, the turnstile or told him not to do it, isn't that actually something we would expect a subway conductor to do while working? So wouldn't the employer be getting a benefit from that? Well, the interesting part of this decision is uh, the board, the, the trial judge reviewed all of this and said, you know what, this is not compensable. Board panel agreed, went up to the appellate division, which also agreed, this is not compensable. And essentially said this, first, their workday does not start until they get to the employment. Two, even though they're using the train that they're gonna be the conductor of later that day, and they're on their employer's premises, really it's just their regular commute. There was nothing outside of their regular commute. That was just simply the easiest way they got to work. And in fact, the claimant truthfully testified that every day she goes to work, this is how she would go to work. She would take the train, she would ride it. And then third, the third fact that the uh, train conductor uh, raised, which was, hey, I was uh, using my free pass, and therefore this is employer paid travel, uh, the the trial judge and then uh, appellate uh, judges said something I thought that was very wise. They said, you know, yeah, you did have a free pass. That's one of the benefits of your employment. But you weren't required to use that free pass to get to work that day. In fact, you could have taken any way you wanted to get to work. This is not employer-required travel. You had a nice benefit of free passes. And by the way, you could use those free passes even when you're not going to work. In other words, in your personal life or any personal errand. Therefore, just using the free pass doesn't transform uh, that commute 
into a workplace event. Ultimately, the case was found not to be compensable. And it's an interesting decision because it's, first of all, well-written, it's lengthy, and it's good for employers. So I thought that would be one that uh, was, was definitely worth talking about today in our presentation. All right, uh, we're up to my uh, almost my last slide, which is any other questions we have. So, so far, the only question I have seeing popping up on my screen is Linda's. I don't see any other uh, questions down here, so if you have them, please uh, ask them now, okay? I'm gonna introduce next month's topic, which is should I pay temporary disability benefits? We're gonna be looking at the how much should I pay, when should I pay, and how, most importantly, when can I stop paying them? What do I do to stop and get the uh, claimant back to work or help them get back to work? All right, I don't see any other questions popping up. I'm looking down. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me over email and just give me a call. Thank you very much for joining us today. Have a great day.